6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Isaiah, chapters 20 through 23. And Elam bore the quiver with the chariots of men and horsemen, and Kir uncovered the shield, and it shall come to pass that the choicest valley shall be full of chariots, and the horsemen shall set themselves in array at the gate. And he stripped the covering of Judah, and thou didst look in that day to the armor of the house of the forest. Ye have seen also the breaches of the city of David, that they are many. Ye gathered together the waters of the lower pool. What Isaiah is talking about here, he's talking to the king, King Hezekiah. In anticipation of this siege, he's not caught by surprise, he knows the Assyrians are coming. He did what you would do as a diligent king. He repaired the walls. There's places there are breaches, they fixed them. He had another problem. The water supply came from the Gihon Spring. The Gihon Spring is near the, the Kidron Valley. If you remember when we did the briefing with the topo, topo map not so long ago, that the, the city of David is on a rise, part of the ridge system that we call Mount Moriah. And to the east is Mount of Olives, to the west is Mount Zion. But the development we're talking about in these days was essentially the city of David, okay, in that area, maybe, maybe starting to move up the little valley called Teropian Valley, up a little to the west of Mount Zion. They had a wall around that. The problem was, is that the source of water was outside the wall. So Hezekiah commissions an interesting venture. He commissions two groups of diggers. Some started from the Gihon Spring, and some started from what later becomes the Pool of Siloam. And they start digging. And if you look at a topo map, it's a bizarre pattern. We assume, I, I assume they were following a fault of some kind, because it wasn't direct. It was a 1,750-foot-long tunnel. It's about six, seven feet high, and about that wide. And it's typically three, about three feet full of water. And when you visit Israel today... You can get shorts and some sandals and go through Hezekiah's tunnel. You start at the Gihon Spring, and with candles or flashlights, you go through this tunnel. It's kind of fun. And when you end up, you emerge out of the, the, the Pool of Siloam, which is inside the walls. So what Hezekiah did, he set up that tunnel, which fed the city with water. They camouflaged the spring itself, and that was his way of preparing. Uh, but you see, he says, you, speaking to uh, the king, Isaiah says, Ye have seen the, also the breaches of the city of David, that they are many. Ye gathered together the waters of the lower pool, pool of Siloam. Ye have numbered the houses of Jerusalem, and the houses ye have broken down to fortify the wall. In other words, they tore down houses to fix the wall, to prepare for the siege. Ye have also made a ditch between the two walls for the water of the old pool, but ye have not looked unto its maker. In other words, you dealt with a pool, but you didn't deal with the maker of the pool. In other words, the God of Israel. See, in other words, uh, you have you've made a ditch for two walls of the water of the old pool, but you have not looked unto the, its maker, neither had respect unto him that fashioned it long ago. In that day did the Lord God of hosts call to weeping and to mourning and to baldness and to girding with sackcloth. Baldness here means shave the head. It was prohibited to the priests. And behold, joy and gladness, slaying oxen, killing sheep, eating flesh and drinking water. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. 
Isaiah, of course, is being sarcastic or elliptical here. Interesting, eat, drink, marry, tomorrow we die. So you thought that was from Paul, 1 Corinthians 15. Wrong, he borrowed it from Isaiah. Okay? Verse 14, it was revealed in mine ears that by the Lord of hosts, surely this iniquity shall not be purged from you until you die, saith the Lord God of hosts. And for those you want to study, you can look at Isaiah 36 and 37 here. We're going to get into that. That's, that'll deal with this in more of a historical uh, sense. Now we have at the end of this chapter a strange passage. Uh, we have a little light on it, but still it'll leave some questions. There's a guy by the name of Shebna that's going to get replaced by a guy by the name of Eliakim. On one hand, Shebna is an egocentric treasurer who's going to be replaced by Eliakim. So there's a local, immediate understanding of this passage. The trouble is, as you study the passage more closely, it raises some questions which uh, have some difficult answers. So let's move on uh, and take a look at it. Verse 15, Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, Go, get thee unto this treasurer. And the way this treasurer is mentioned implies criticism. You don't see it in English necessarily, but it's contemptuous in its, its structure. Unto this treasurer, even unto Shebna, who is over the house, and say... What hast thou here? And whom hast thou here that thou hast hewn thee out a sepulcher here, as he that heweth out a sepulcher on high, and that carveth a habitation for himself in a rock? The tone here is that Shebna is guilty of having set himself up a sepulcher above his station. In other words, he's apparently on some kind of ego trip. And he's going to get his due here. Verse 17, Behold, the Lord will carry thee away with a mighty captivity and will surely cover thee. In other words, the Lord's going to take care of you, guy. You don't need a sepulcher here. You're going in captivity, in effect. He will surely violently turn and toss thee like a ball into a large country. There thou shalt die, and there the chariots of thy glory shall be the shame of the Lord's house. And I will drive thee from thy station and from thy state, and from thy state shall he pull thee down. Okay, so Shebna is getting his, but let's go on. Verse 20, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. And I will clothe him with thy robe, strengthen him with thy girdle, and will commit thy government into his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. So far, so good. We don't have any problem with that so far. Okay, Shebna blew it. He's out. This other guy apparently is going to be in. No problem so far until we get to verse 22. And the key of the house of David will I lay on his shoulder, and he shall open, and none shall shut. And he shall shut, and none shall open. Huh? What's that mean? The reason that may strike familiar to you, if you're a student of the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 7, you'll recognize that verse, as it stands, appears... In the letter dictated by Jesus Christ. How many epistles in the New Testament? Most people say 21. 14 plus 7. Aha, but we always overlook 7. 7 that Jesus Christ wrote. Paul wrote 14 if you count Hebrews. There's 7 so-called general epistles, right? There's 7 by Jesus Christ himself. Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And this verse is an allusion to Jesus Christ. So you can link that to Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. I'll point out here only this much to let you notice that there's integrity of design. These allusions by Isaiah are not incidental, are very key to your understanding of the seven letter seven churches in, in, in this particular example. Now, the next few verses also are prophetic with an idiom that may be 
foreign to your ears. We have all kinds of idioms that speak of the Messiah. And there's, you know, wonderful counselor, all these labels. There's one. Have you ever heard Jesus referred to as a nail? I don't talk about the nails of the cross, something else here, sort of. And yet there's a very strange passage here. Verse 23. And I will fasten him like a nail in a sure place. And by the way, the word nail is also going to mean peg. In Zechariah 10.4 and Ezra 9.8, the word can mean prince. But here it's used as a nail or a peg on a pole. Okay. I will fasten him like a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. Ah. What's that about? Let's move on. Verse 24. And they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and issue, all the vessels in small quantity, from the vessels of the cups, even to the vessels of flagons. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed and be cut down and fall. And the burden that was upon it shall be cut off, for the Lord hath spoken it. Now, if you're just reading that through Isaiah, say, gee, what's that all about? And yet, if you pause a little bit, and you're willing to recognize a rather strange idiom being used, it's a hint, a veiled hint of whom? Jesus Christ. And uh, if you see that, great. If you don't, don't worry about it. We'll keep moving. Okay, there are a number of these things that uh, you know aren't worth uh, torturing and badgering to death. Highlight them. If you see them, great. If not, we move on. Let's just zip through chapter 23, because that will complete a section, and that will leave us an interesting time next time. So let's, let's take chapter 23, the burden of Tyre. Again, the Masa, the heavy, the burden of Tyre. Now, Tyre is equivalent to Sidon, in effect. This, you and I would know this area as Phoenicia. If you study the, the ancient cultures, the Phoenicians were incredibly skilled seamen. They had traffic all over the world in this day. Archaeological evidence in England shows when Stonehenge was in its flower that there was trade throughout the world with Stonehenge. The Phoenician ships were the typical way of doing this. And uh, how will ye ships of Tarshish? Now this raises another whole issue. Scholars are divided as to where Tarshish was. Some say it was Cyprus and Chittim and nearby. The point is, Tarshish shows up several places. We'll always wonder where Tarshish was. If you study various sources, you'll discover different authorities disagree. It's not clear. What do we know about Tarshish? From 1 Kings 10.22, Solomon's navy dealt with Tarshish. We get the impression that it was an island. The ships of Tyre dealt with Tarshish, as we see here. We know from various references that they bring gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. There was world trade with Tarshish. Tarshish is known from Ezekiel 27 or 37, I can't read my notes clearly, it's known as a source of tin. Some people think it was in Spain. Some people think it was one of the islands in the Mediterranean. There are some scholars, it's not in, everyone in agreement, some scholars believe that Tarshish was Britain. Britannia means source of tin. Okay? So there are scholars that believe that Tarshish was in Britain. We do know the Phoenicians traded with Britain. 
The Phoenicians uh, were not only, by the way, not only great sea people, they were also the originators of the alphabet. We had pictograms before then, but a true alphabet was invented by the Phoenicians. But in any case, Tarshish. We'll come across Tarshish from time to time in your biblical studies, and um, there's a possibility, not conclusive, that it may have been Britain. It's interesting that Jonah, when God called him to go to Nineveh, got on a ship, and he obviously, if you understand the story and his mental uh, frame of mind at the time, in our vernacular, he would have taken a boat to China. In other words, what Jonah was trying to do was to go as far away as he could find. When he left Joppa, what boat did he take? The boat to Tarshish, exactly. So I have a leaning that Tarshish was Britain, but you can't prove it. I'd like to try, but it's not fair. Okay, moving on. The ships of Tarshish for his laid waste, so there's no, no house, no entering in for the land of Kittim. It is revealed to them, Be still, ye inhabitants of the coast, thou whom the merchants of the Sidon, who pass over the sea, have replenished. And by the great waters, the seed of Sihor, the harvest of the river, is a revenue, and she is a merchandise of nations. Be thou ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea hath spoken, even the strength of the sea, saying, I travail not, nor bring forth children, neither do I nourish up young men, nor bring up virgins. As at the report concerning Egypt, so shall they be greatly pained at the report of Tyre. In other words, Tyre is going to fall. Tyre is a very powerful city, but Isaiah is pronouncing, in effect, its ultimate doom. Pass ye over to Tarshish, wail, O ye inhabitants of the coast. Is this your joyous city, whose antiquity is of ancient days? Her own feet shall carry her afar off to, to sojourn. So, who hath taken this counsel against Tyre, the crowning city, whose merchants are princes, and whose merchants are honorable of the earth? The Lord of hosts hath purposed it to stain the pride of all glory, to bring into contempt all the honorable of the earth. Pass through thy land like a river, O daughter of Tarshish. There is no more strength. He stretcheth out his hand over the sea. He shook the kingdoms. The Lord hath given a commandment against the merchant city to destroy its strongholds. I'll come back to this in a minute, but let's just swing through. And he said, Thou shalt no more rejoice, O thou oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon. Arise, pass over to Kittim, there, there also shalt thou have no rest. Behold, the land of the Chaldeans, this people was not till the Assyrian founded it. For those who dwell in the wilderness, they set up its towers, they raised up its palaces, and he brought it to ruin. Howl, ye ships of Tarshish, for your strength is laid waste. And it shall come to pass in that day, the tire shall be forgotten seventy years according to the days of one king. At the end of the seventy years shall Tyre sing as a harlot. Take a harp, go about the city, thou harlot. Thou hast been forgotten. Make sweet melodies, sing many songs, that thou mayest be remembered. And it shall come to pass, after the end of the seventy years, that the Lord will visit Tyre, and she shall turn to her hire, and shall commit fornication with all the kingdoms of the world upon the face of the earth. And her merchandise and her hire shall be holiest to the Lord, and shall not be treasured nor laid up, for her merchandise shall be those who dwell before the Lord, to eat sufficiently and for durable clothing. Okay, a couple of things. Merchandise, by the way, and traffic are equivalent terms. And rather than get into the translation, let me give you the net of it. City of Tyre, major power in those days. Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Tyre for 13 years. Got nowhere. And Nebuchadnezzar got a lesson in sea power. An army is no match for a seaport that has an island offshore. What Tyre did is while they defended Nebuchadnezzar's army, they moved the city offshore a mile. 
There was an island. They took the houses and the valuables and moved offshore. And the Phoenician navy was able to protect them. So Nebuchadnezzar, after a long siege, washed his hands of the whole mess. Okay? For 70 years it's forgotten. Nebuchadnezzar falls to the Persians. The Persians fall to the Greeks. Alexander the Great made his name by conquering Tyre. What did he do? When he got there and he saw Tyre offshore a mile, not a problem. He set his engineers to build a causeway, one mile out to sea. They scraped the houses and the dust. And by the way, Ezekiel predicted this, and it's exactly what happened. They scraped the dust, built the causeway. This causeway goes out to the island. I think I've forgotten. I think it takes two or three years total. And Alexander the Great conquers Tyre. Not only did he gain that important military victory, it made him a legend throughout the world. That Alexander the Great, this young guy who at the age of 29 fell on his bed crying because there were no more known nations to conquer. His empire went all the way to and beyond India. Incredible history. If you like some ancient reading, boy, read up on the career and, and exploits of this young guy. Okay, I was anxious to get through chapter 23 because 24, 25, 26, 27, the next four chapters, they're small chapters, but they're different. They are called by some scholars the Little Apocalypse. You'll discover, if you do your homework reading for next Wednesday to read the next four chapters, you'll discover Isaiah changes his style. Up till now, he has been talking nation by nation. Arabia, Edom, Babylon, you name it. Here, he's suddenly going to talk about the world being turned upside down. The planet Earth turned upside down. He's going to talk about reeling to and fro like a drunkard and so forth. He's going to talk about the host of the high ones being judged. Suddenly the language really shifts gears for about four chapters. And that's why some scholars call this the little apocalypse. He's going to talk about the kingdom age and so forth. And in this passage is one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. In the passage we'll take next time in this so-called little apocalypse, I will show you what I believe is a description of the rapture in the Old Testament. Now I hear you. It's strange because the church is not in the Old Testament. In a way, it is and it isn't. It's not expressly in the Old Testament. But there's a passage that we'll share next time that if you grab it like I do, it will blow you away. Let's do it now. Let's do it now. I know it's late. Can we have four or five more minutes? Okay. Turn with me. I can't resist because this is fun. And boy, if there's anything that I really want to get across to you is the excitement of this book. The excitement of God's Word. I mean, I've had a life, frankly, that's been full of adventure and I've had uh, God's grace be with a lot of adventures. But there's no adventure that's more fun, more exciting more exhilarating than the discovery of these treasures God hides away. Before we do this, though, I want to refresh your memory with 1 Thessalonians 4. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 4 to get a couple of verses in your mind before we re go ahead where I'm headed. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the famous rapture passage. Okay. 
1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15. For thus we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them who are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the ark and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Who rises first? The dead in Christ. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Right? Rapture thing, right? How many are in favor of that? Yeah. While I have this, I have to tell you one thing. I've gotten a lot of mail, a lot of concern. I want to make sure we don't fall in the same trap that many people did in the early 70s. There's all kinds of visible moving of God in our society. We see it happening. The rapture is close, but it could be, it could be as close as 20 or 30 years away. Now what I mean by that, let me explain what I mean by that. A lot of people understandably get concerned. It's important to expect him moment to moment. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. It's also important that you fulfill his commandment to you to occupy till he come. If you're planning to go to college, go to college. If you're planning to get married, get married. I mean, go about your lives. Don't become monastic. Don't sit on the hilltop waiting for it. That is not what he would have you do. He would have you expect a moment to moment, but to occupy where you come. And it's easy in our enthusiasm, as we see God move, to get excessively, to become so heavenly minded we're no earthly good. Let's put it that way. Okay, having read that, fresh in your mind, I'd like you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 26, and we'll take a preliminary glimpse at a passage that we'll talk more about next time. We'll pick it up. Well, by the way, we're going to look at verse, we'll pick up 19, but verse 16, 17, 18 deals again with the woman travailing. It's very interesting. The woman is travailing in verses 16 and 17 and 18, but in order to make our time. Verse 19, Isaiah says, Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. He's talking about the resurrection, isn't he? Clearly. Okay. So far, so good. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Praise God. Now let's hang on. Fasten your seatbelts and look at verse 20 and 21. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers. Shut thy doors about thee, hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment. Until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. Come, my people. The word come, I personally link to Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. God told John, write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be metatauta after these things. Things he had seen, the vision of chapter 1 of Revelation. The things which are, the two chapters, chapter 2 and 3, the seven churches. Then write the things which shall be metatauta after these things. Chapter 4, verse 1, metatauta after these. And it says, come. God calls him idiomatically like the rapture in the, in the book of Revelation. Okay, here's the same come, I believe. Come, my people. Enter thou into whose chambers? Thy chambers. John 14.2 In my Father's house are many mansions. I go in to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and return and call you, and so forth. John 14. Upper room discourse. 
Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers. Okay. Shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment. Until. Every time I see an until, prophetically, I always mark it. Until is always a key word. Because it's something until something else. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Israel is blinded until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Fullness of Gentiles and for the church. Israel is blinded until the church is complete. Till the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Come in where? Interesting. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. The indignation is a synonym for the wrath of God. His indignation, his punishment of sin. Is God punishing sin now? Look around, man. No way. No way. Anyway, until the indignation is past. Till God. In other words, these people that are being spoken of here are called up, put in the chambers, and hidden until the wrath of God is meted out. First Thessalonians 5, we are not, the church, are not appointed unto wrath, but unto salvation. Revelation 3.20, that because you have kept the word of my patience, I will keep thee from the time of trial that will come upon the earth and so forth. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. He hasn't punished the inhabitants of the earth. And praise God that he hasn't. Jesus Christ in Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2 announced his ministry, but he stopped at a comma and he didn't finish the last phrase. So that he could say, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. What was not fulfilled, the phrase he left off, the day of vengeance of our God. We speak of Jesus Christ as our kinsman redeemer, right? Do you know what the other duty of the kinsman redeemer is? He was the avenger of blood. Jesus Christ has both roles. He's our kinsman redeemer indeed, but he's also the avenger of blood. As we'll see when we get to Isaiah 63. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth also shall disclose her blood, and shall no more cover her slain. Praise God. Interesting passage. Am I making too much out of something? Possibly. Same thing occurs in Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3. We'll deal with that next time also. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Isaiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.